Well, church, we're in Acts chapter 2, dealing with verses 42 to 47, and hear the scripture of what happened after the day of Pentecost and God's outpoured mercy upon the church. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the prayers and to the breaking of bread. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and they had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. Environments are very important. Environments help determine the way you live and flourish and think. For example, I read an article several weeks ago from a journal about how to have an environment of productivity in the marketplace. And they said you should have an office setting with a clean desk, with thought-producing music that you can listen to. They mentioned Mozart and Bach. And have natural light instead of artificial light, if at all possible, because artificial light is more stimulating than natural light. Quietness. And this says something I've never read before. And have real plants and not plastic plants. Because it says surveys and studies have determined that if you have real plants, you produce at 15% more productivity than with artificial plants. Now, how did they determine that? I mean, you read these things, you want to go, where's the demographic research on that one? But admittedly, environments are important. We have a core value here. We have 10 core values. One of them is this, an environment of grace. And it says, since we've been touched by the grace of the redeeming love of Christ, we extend grace and kindness to those around us in the church and outside the church. Because he's been forgiven much, loves much, an environment of grace. Or this poem that many of us read as parents, Children Learn What They Live by Dorothy Nolke. If a child lives with criticism, he learns to condemn. If a child lives with hostility, he learns to fight. If a child lives with fear, he learns to be apprehensive. If a child lives with pity, he learns to feel sorry for himself. Conversely, if a child lives with encouragement, he lives to be confident. If a child lives with praise, he lives to be appreciated. If a child lives with the love of football, he longs for late August. You're listening. I just want to see, but in, in, environment's very important. And we said last week that, that, that awe, that the church, this is the church was filled with awe in Acts. And awe is the understanding of what Christ has done for us. In his work on the cross, while the living God, Abba Father, the Son, the Spirit have done for us, and we're so filled with, with admiration and love and worship that it leads us to adoration and worship and love and robust energy. And so this, this awe produced an environment in the early church in its historical account, and we're going to look at what this brought about. But it brought about, in part, joy, freedom, and expectation. 
And the question I ask myself is, are you living in awe of the greatness of all that God is for us in the Savior, as applied to our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit? Do we have an environment of awe among us? And part of the environment of awe is they devoted themselves, we'll deal with that in the next few weeks, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to the prayers. There was a devotion, there was a full-orbed yieldedness to the Lord. They devoted themselves to these things. I was reading Luke the last few weeks in Luke 9, a well-known passage. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, verse 23, you must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Then he says this. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but he who loses his life for my sake will save it. For what is the profit of man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory with his holy ones. See, the early church heard this, read it, believed it, and lived it. They dealt with the reality of Christ, that they grappled with this, and it led to joy and hope and abandonment unto him. Because later in this passage, Jesus says this, and it really, if, if these words do not come from the lips of the one who is the incarnate reality of God, full of joy and truth and wisdom, then they sound like the words that come from a megalomaniac or a sadist. Jesus says this, a man came to him and he said, Lord, I, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have their nest. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now just stop. Uh, Christ could see into the hearts of people, understood their motivation. I, I believe in reading this, this man probably was caught up maybe in things and possessions. And he was given this bravado statement. Jesus says, you know, really, you've got to yield yourself to me in all areas. Then another man comes up. Uh, Jesus says to him, follow me. But, but he said, Lord, let me first Go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, these are strong words. Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. In other words, don't use the fifth commandment as a smoke screen to put off following me. I must be Lord. Then another encounter, same paragraph. Another said, I will follow you, but first let me say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And in other words, the Lord Christ must come first. And then later in, in Luke chapter 14, he says this, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and his mother and his wife and his children and his brothers and his sisters and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. You go, wait a minute. Now, what does that mean? Here's what it means. 
that, that, that when I put Christ in the kingdom first, then he makes me the father and the husband and the son and the brother and the friend by the power of the spirit that I really can be and should be. He's, he's making these startling statements. He's wake up and think about these statements to say, you've got to deal with the reality of who I am. There's a little book called The Four Loves by C.S. Lewis. And he's talking about the love of, of really the love of, of a husband and wife for each other. And he quotes this poem where a wife is saying to her husband, do not go to war, do not do this, do not go to war, stay here with me. And the, and the husband responds by saying this, I could not love you so much did I not love honor more. And what Lewis is saying is that the poet here says with great wisdom is that, 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 that the ultimate in his life was, was character. That honor must precede this this relate, there's got to be a higher calling. And that's what Jesus is saying here is that, that the ultimate calling that makes us the people that we should be, that fills us with joy and expectation and laughter and hope and harmony is the reality of Christ. And when you see that, you stand in awe of him. And I ask you, I ask myself, are you standing in awe of God and is it producing an environment of awe in your life? I was in Charlotte recently, riding around, going to places, you know, there are these little magnetic church signs, and there's more heresy per square foot on these church signs than anything else. I mean, you're going, good grief, where they come up with this, you know? And so I'm, I'm, I'm riding around, I come across this very manicured, beautiful, it's a Baptist church. I had a church sign out front, and it had three lines. You are loved, you are forgiven, go in peace. I'm going, well, oof, not really in this regard. How am I forgiven? I mean, yeah, you can't put it in the church sign, but you're loved. Yes, you're made in the image of God, and God loves you and offers you a, a plan that has hope and harmony and joy. But sin into the human race. I'm a sinner. Sin has separated me from a holy God. And the only way to be made whole in God's sight is to understand that in the fullness of time, God became a man and lived a perfect life and died on the cross for my sins. And then the way you enter into a relationship with Christ is through acknowledging by faith that Christ did for me what I could never do. He died in my place. And so I, I turn from myself and I run to the cross and I rejoice in that. And as that happens, then I hear thundering from the cross what Paul says in Ephesians, he himself is our peace. You can't get all that in the church sign, I know. But, but to me, there's so much missing there. And I thought of the hymn that I, I learned as a child in, in a little Bible school setting, and it stuck with me. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his love, what a mercy he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Then one stanza says, but, but, but we never can prove the delights of his love until all on the altar we lay for the glory he shows and the love he bestows are for them who will trust and obey. We never can prove 
the delights of his love until all on the altar we lay. It's our yieldedness and yieldedness of our thoughts, our eyes, our speech, our feet, our money, our time, our energy. Our, uh, the, comes as we are caught up in the awe and the glory and the goodness and the majestic splendor of all that God is for us in Christ. Awe. And so that's what happened in the early church. There was awe that produced an environment. And I'll talk to you about very quickly four signs of this environment that flowed from awe. Number one is they were together and had all things in common, but they were together. The word for together here means they were gathered with an emphasis on unity. The gospel brings unity. The gospel brings focus. The gospel brings energy. We've talked about the five G's, which is we're gathered, we're grafted into a local body of believers, and then we're grouped in relationships where we can practice the one another's of the Bible and just care for each other. And then we understand that we are gifted and we have a responsibility to joyfully exercise our giftedness to bless others and advance the kingdom. And then we go and make disciples, five Gs. Pretty simple. But these people were together. They were together under the gospel that brings self-forgetfulness and teaches us the joy of service and responsibility you see, my love for Christ is in proportion to my understanding of forgiveness. My love for Christ is in direct proportion to my understanding of forgiveness, what he's done for me. Jesus says, he who's been forgiven much loves much. He's been forgiven little, loves little. It's not saying that some people have been forgiven a lot, some not much. It's our understanding. We've all been forgiven. The, the, the Lord has been glorious good to us through the cross. I was just thinking through Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that was in me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. He forgives all your sins. That's enough to praise God for the next three lifetimes. He forgives all your sins. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with tender mercies and loving kindness. And he satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. We step back and say, oh, God, you've been good to me. You've forgiven my sins by the cross. Lord, you keep your hand upon me and you heal all my diseases until you call me home. Lord, you have redeemed my life from the pit. Go to your class reunions. And then go home and write down, who you could have married and get on your knees and say, thanks be to God. Really? He's redeemed us. He's given us a hope and a purpose. He's crowned us every day with loving kindness and tender mercies and he satisfies our desires with good things. He renews us every day. And I was thinking about this and I thought about all all the multiple ways that God has blessed me without me even knowing it. How he's hedged me in and caused this to come to make me go this way and this to come to make me go that way and how time after time after time I can look back and I can trace the faithfulness of God day after day after day after day after day. Many times without even knowing it. And I thought about this. This is my example. It's just so it's going to be unmechanically savvy. It's like you're flying from New York or Washington to London. First class, which I've heard is nice. 
And so you, you get on, and some people can sleep when they fly. I cannot. But you, you fall asleep, and you're woken to be given your food. And the captain of this Delta flight, this Delta, this Delta flight, has a master's degree in bacteria, food, infections from Johns Hopkins before he became a pilot. And he looks at the food about being served, and he tells them, wait, 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 that, that fruit doesn't look good. And so they get out, you know, they're in their lab there in the cockpit, and they, they determine this food has a rare botulism that will kill you in 30 minutes. And so you don't serve the food. You don't serve the, the, the ambrosia. You serve everything else. They're okay. You don't know that, though. Halfway across the Atlantic, they decide to just test the hydraulics. They hit the button. Nothing goes down. And so the captain puts on a harness and gets some ropes out. He goes out and he hangs under and he takes some fluid and he pours it in and, and he kicks the lever and the hydraulics start working and you're going to be able to land safely. But about that time, ISIS fires a heat-seeking missile at your airplane and the captain has a heat-seeking deflector device and he holds it up and it hits the missile and it goes that way and it explodes in midair with no damage to anybody unbeknownst to you. He comes in, he's bloodied and he's greased and he's cut and he's lacerated and he takes a shower and puts on a clean uniform and as you leave he says thank you for flying Delta <laughs> and you say yeah miss the fruit you know <laughs> that's me that's you how many times has God protected us without even knowing it we're asleep in first class and God's had mercy day after day after day and so you go to the book of Ephesians, and it, 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 for example, it says, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 6, talks about the unity God brings to the body of Christ. And then verses 7 to 16 talk, talks about how he matures us in Christ. And then he gets to the application of that in chapter 4, verse 17 and following. And he says, I, I, I insist upon this, and I, I plead with you to don't live anymore like the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They don't think about God. They don't praise God. They are darkened in their understanding. They are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. It says, but as for you, be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self. And the new self, he says, has the following manifestations. He says, number one, he says, speak the truth in love. Be gracious. Number two, be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down in your anger. Deal with your anger. Don't let give the devil a foothold in your life. Number three, those of you among us, he says, here at Ephesus, who were formerly thieves, quit stealing. Instead, work hard with your hands so that you can share with others who are in need. Next, let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth, but only the talk that can build others up according to their needs. Next, do not grieve the spirit of the living God. You have a, a personal relationship with the living God, and your disobedience, your corrupt talk, your lack of productivity can, 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 can grieve the spirit of God. And then he says, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God has forgiven us in Christ. That's what the gospel does. And that's who we're called to be. See, do you have an environment of awe in your life? It will impact the way you relate to people. It will impact the way you treat your spouse, the way you treat your kids, the way you treat your parents. 
the way you treat your coworkers. They were together. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Number two, that they sold their possessions and they gave to people who were in need. So, so the thraldom of stuff is broken. There's a book called Awe, I quoted it last week. It says this, what you and I need to guard against is, the, is allowing awe of those pleasures to become the principal motivator of our hearts when awe of material things rules your heart, then you will live for material things, and you will live for material things, which means that you will do just about anything to gain them, to maintain them, to keep them, and to enjoy them. Now, I'm going to give you a, a one-hour teaching in three minutes, so hang in, bear with me. And this, there's a continuum here, let's say, about... about the approach to material things you'll hear bannered about in Christian circles. I'm going to tell you about two extremes. One extreme is what is called the health and wealth gospel. Uh, Joyce Meyer, Ken Copeland, Mark Cefello, what's his name? I don't know. Corello, what's his name? Cefello, whatever, those guys. And basically their teaching is if you uh, have enough faith, you'll be wealthy and healthy. The problem is all these people die. So I don't know what to do with that. So you'll be, and and that's, that is horrific teaching and it's very close to heresy. And the cross is muttered at best. That's why several years ago, Joyce Meyer came to town and I'm ready to do this. I said, do not go. Don't go. So you got, the other extreme are people that that I really love and some of them are my friends and I could tell you their names and I want and, 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 and they've written books, and you read some of their books, and you feel really guilty if you have anything. And, and, and they're not saying that, but some people that are interpreting the writings are saying they're saying that, and they're not. So, I, you know, so I'm, I'm about here. They're, they're well-meaning. They just overstate things at times. So I think some of God's favorite people in the Bible had a lot of wealth. Solomon, Abraham, Gamaliel, I mean, I can go. And Paul says it's not, again, it's not the money that is corrosive. It's the love of money. The problem is it's hard not to love money. It's just hard. I mean, many of you have enjoyed the Olympics. You're not going to hear any station break, any commercial that says, remember, whoever loves his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for the sake of Jesus will find it richly. Brought to you by the Coca-Cola Corporation. You're not going to hear that. You're not going to hear a station bringing somebody said, you know, command those who reach in this present world not to be arrogant, to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in the living God who richly provides us for everything, for our enjoyment. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. Brought to you by whatever. You're not, you're not going to hear that. So you're, you're surrounded by this culture that says more, 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 more. And yet in all... A manifestation of awe is you got rid of stuff and you helped those in need. And, and so I've seen this happen a thousand times or more. Talk to someone, they're under financial duress and they bring in their budget. It's a good thing. To, budgets are good. And they're making $90,000 a year, but they're living at a $120,000 lifestyle. I, I'm not real good at math. That does not work. 
And then God blesses them. And they start making $170,000 a year, and they live in a $220,000 lifestyle. Again, I'm not really good at math. That does not work. You never catch up. And so people who live in awe of God cap lifestyles, cap giving, so they can give and care for those who are in need because God, in the person of Jesus, is the ultimate treasure. And they see that, and they will laugh at the commercials and say, you've got to have a refrigerator that produces ice that looks like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. They'll say, baloney. And so in our own, my own experience, you know, I, I believe the Bible teaches tithing. We, bring our, we get paid every other week. Thank you for your very gracious generosity to us. And so we give our tithes and our offerings every other week when we get paid. That's what we do. 1 Corinthians 16 says, do it weekly. We do it bi-weekly. Do it weekly in a prepared, planned fashion. And, and, and when you do that and you live at this level and you make this, it, it, it's, it's a way to honor God and bless people around you. Do not be captivated by the tantalizing, material, commercial-driven culture that we live in. And that's why I need people in my life who say, remember, a man's life does not consist in what he owns. Remember? You see, the Christian life is all about making a thousand little different decisions every week in your life. And sometimes really big ones, but a lot of little decisions. So, Obedience. Because you're in awe of the goodness of Christ. I'm, let me give you, this is a brief statement. I'm, but this, let me just say a little decision. So, so I'm, I'm looking forward to football. And eight weeks ago it was announced by ABC that they had bought the rights for the Clemson-Auburn game on September the 3rd, Saturday. And they're moving the game to 9 o'clock at night. I go to bed early, I get up early. That's the way I'm wired. And so I sat there and went, crud. And so I said to myself, self, I'm saying to you, you can't see the game. I preach on Sunday. If you haven't noticed, you preach, I preach on Sundays. So I've, I've got I to be fresh with it, prayed up, confessed up with it. And I can't do it if I'm up to 1 o'clock watching a great game, and then I've got another hour unwinding because I'm, I'm tired as a tired as and, you know, then I thought, well, maybe, maybe God wants us to just have a lot of hymns on the 4th of September <laughs> with scripture reading and testimonies from some of our elders. Maybe, maybe that's where the Lord's leading us. And I, uh, and somebody says, you know, hey, man, preach it, brother. And somebody says, you know, why don't you, why don't you just tape it and watch it the next day? You know, Kent, that's like eating macaroni five days later after just sitting in the sun. Because I'll be checking the scoreboard every 30 minutes when I wake up that night. But it's, yeah, and that's just, I'm laying that on me, not you guys. You're not preaching I am's. You're fine. But, you know, but you know I, it, the Christian life is a thousand. It is. But you make those decisions, listen, as your heart is captured by the glory of Jesus. And then the next market says that they, they got together in their homes and they shared their meals with glad and generous hearts. The word for generous can mean sympathetic or, or excuse me, sincere and or humble hearts. What a glorious description of the believer. Glad. 
sincere hearts, hearts that have been fixed upon Christ, glad hearts, the glass is always halfway full. Listen, it's always halfway full. It's not personality, it's worship. Because God's in control and God will bring good out of this in some way. I don't understand until I get to heaven. That's what the Bible teaches. And so I can go through life trusting and loving and caring and looking to Abba Father. It's not personality. Well, she's just, she's just that type of person. The glass is always halfway empty. No, that's called sin. That's called unbelief. That's called not trusting God. That's called trusting Fox or CNN more than the Bible. So glad, do you have glad and sincere or generous hearts? Because you've tasted what the great quote in the bulletin, Edwards calls the ineffable sweetness of Jesus. And number four, says they experience favor with all types of men. I love this. They experienced favor with all types of men. They were looking at the early church and they said, that, that guy over there used to be a tax collector and he used to line his pockets with my money and work for the occupational forces. And now when I give him my tax bill, he says, oh, you overpaid here. We owe you a few denarii. That, 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 that guy over there used to pick pockets and now he's working with his hands and he's caring with the people who, who can't care for themselves. That, that woman used to make her living as a prostitute. And now she's, she's changed. I like what I see. We ordained some deacons in the first service. And one of the qualifications for being a deacon is they must have a good reputation with those who are outside. In other words, the guys they work with and their neighbors and the men and women they play sports with and Say this about them. I may not agree with them, but I like what I see. Their word is their bond. They live what they preach because they live in awe of God. So let your heart be transfixed. blown away by the glory of the cross. So I was just in North Carolina with my mom and dad. My dad's 91, my mom's 86. They're celebrating their 68th year of weddings, anniversary this week. 68 years. It's a great legacy for me. And um, so I'm with my dad. My dad's 91. His mind is sharp as a tack. And I love to say, Dad, tell me about this. And he, because he loves to talk. And so we're up early Thursday morning sitting on the porch. And, and he's looking out at a, a meadow next to their house in Yadkin County, North Carolina. He says, you know, I feel sorry for people who live in New York City and don't have this. I said, you're right. I was thinking, you're right, Dad. Millions of people are getting up in Manhattan today thinking, I wish I was in Yadkinville. <laughs> I didn't say it. I just kind of laughed. And I said, I said Dad, t tell, me, t tell me about coming back after World War II. See, my dad turned 18 in 1943. Three months later, he was in training. He'd been drafted. He goes to Europe for two years. Fights with the Fifth Army in Italy. He said, well, son, we left Naples. 
and they were predicting a horrible storm, and it happened, but our captain, our, our merchant marine captain, wanted to get home, so it took us 28 days to get across the Atlantic. He said, I never will forget steaming into New York Harbor on Christmas Day, 1945, and being met by a tugboat with a band on it playing Sentimental Journey. And he said, I looked up at the Statue of Liberty, greeting us, those who are coming in the harbor, and I said, oh, girl, he's 20 years old, oh, girl, I promise you, if you ever see me again, you're going to have to do an about face, because I'm never coming this way again. And he's true to his word. He's never been to Europe again. He said, did I ever tell you about what happened on the boat, how I ate? I said, no, he never had. I heard all, heard all that a lot. He said, well, second day of our 28-day voyage, I was up walking on the ship, and all the guys in the army were down the hull of the ship and our cots and we were eating sea rations and it was horrible. For 28 days it was horrible. And he said, I was walking the deck and I met one of the cooks from the Merchant Marine Group. And we started talking. And he was a farmer from Wilmington and I was a farmer from Yadkin County, North Carolina. We had a lot in common. He said, you know, he said, us North Carolina guys have to take care of each other. He said, I tell you what, if you will help me out in the kitchen two or three, four hours a day, you can eat the merchant marine mess or food. My dad said, okay. He said, son, they ate like kings. He said, fresh fruit, fresh salad, all types of meat. He said, every day, three, days, three, three times a day. And so I was up there in the kitchen working a couple hours eating all types of food. My buddies were downstairs eating sea rations in the hull of the ship. He said, it was a good trip for me. <laughs> I laughed like that. Then I thought about it. I said, you know, this is, as far as illustration, I'm the merchant marine cook. All your teachers and pastors, those who point to the truth, are nothing but the cooks. You're in the hull of the ship. Now we're all on the ship. We're going to get to New York. We're going to get to heaven. But, but if you follow the Lord fully and stand in awe of the Lord, you're going to give up sea rations, and you're going to come up here, and you're going to start eating fresh fruits and salads and meats and breads. And it's sweet. I want to get to heaven with as much joy as I can possibly contain in one aging old body. And it happens as you trust and obey. It happens as you stand in awe of the goodness of God exhibited ultimately in the cross of Jesus. Because this environment of awe does this in my life, and awe produces in me and you worship, adoration, love, and robust energy. And we need that. In this culture, at this day, we need that. So here are the men that have been ordained as deacons. Let me read them out to you today. Uh, Matt Ballinger, Wes Carroll, Carroll David Zerwinski, Nick DeGroote, Derek Dryden, Seth Kimball, Ryan Kuyper, Justin Craywatch, David Morbitzer, John Ravon, Brian Sloan, Dean Waters, Brent Werner, Chris Whitaker, and another elder that was not here three weeks ago, Clint Cole. These men came forward and we prayed for and set them apart. So pray, pray for these brothers and as we walk together. Let's stand and I close us in prayer and pray for these. So Lord, thank you for this day uh, and we pray earnestly for the men that we just read out. Uh, that they would walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
that they would be men who have a firm allegiance to the Word of God, that they would be continually amazed at the greatness of Christ, that they would have a good reputation with outsiders and their lives would preach the gospel and they would see men and women come to faith as they share the gospel. And Lord, so many of these young men are, are in their 20s and they're going to be living the life of faith if you give them a normal life for five more decades after many of us are dead and gone. So Lord, please energize them to stand with dignity and truth and courage and brokenness before the watching world and use them. Lord, use us. We ask that this week will be filled with the power and the grace and the majesty of Christ in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you very much.